0: Alhamdulillah.
1: The need for Islam, I mean normally we would expect that this topic should be directed to non Muslims who need to know why they should become Muslims. The need for Islam. And as our brother said, we have the responsibility as Muslims to share that knowledge with them, to enlighten them, to let them know why they need Islam. The Muslim world today basically discourages people from even wanting to know about Islam. Because we are not examples of Islam. And the reality in terms of da'wah, when we think about conveying the message of Islam, when we look at the first generation that came into Islam, we have to say that most of them became Muslims based on the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa It was his example which caused them to accept Islam. The very first person who converted to Islam was his wife, Khalija. He didn't sit with her and discuss and explain to her the fundamentals of Tawheed. When he gave her the message of Islam and informed her that he was a prophet of Allah, she accepted it. She believed in him and even had initially more certainty than he had. He had some doubts. When the revelation was coming, he feared that it might have been satanic from satanic sources. But she was saying, no, there's no way that Allah would deceive you for the righteousness that you have displayed. The honesty, the justice that you have lived, there is no way that Allah would allow Satan to, this, to deceive him in this fashion. So she had certainty. And she is the one who took him to her cousin, Waraka ibn Nawfal, to confirm. So she was convinced. Similarly, Ali ibn Abi Talib, his cousin, who was growing up in his house, he didn't have to be convinced intellectually. Nor was Zayd ibn al Haritha. Nor was Abu Bakr, his best friend. These people who all came into Islam, they came in convinced that whatever Prophet Muhammad said was the truth. So he was an example. And That example caused Islam to spread by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, caused Islam to spread all over Arabia. So we as Muslims, in order to fulfill the responsibility of carrying this message to the rest of the world, we need to be the best of examples. And Prophet Muhammad in describing Islam, in summing up all of the teachings of Islam, he put it in one package, saying, ma makarim al-akhlaq." I was only sent to perfect for you the highest of moral character traits. Morality. That the essence of the Islamic message was morality. It is a moral message. This is what we have to offer the world today. In the past, we were leaders of technology. In Spain, in Baghdad, People came from all over the world to learn at the feet of our scholars. Time passed. Now we are going to the West to learn at the feet of their scholars. They have the technology. We have very little to offer in that department. But technology is not what people fundamentally need. The early generation of Muslims didn't have the technology. Technology was in Rome and Persia. The early Muslims of Arabia had no technology. The technology of the Egyptians, those earlier civilizations, Mesopotamia, etc., far exceeded what little knowledge Arabs had. So what Islam brought to them, which changed their societies, was the moral message, which governs not only the interactions between human beings, because when we think of morality, normally we think of morality has to do with how you treat other people. You treat them in a moral way. A good way. With good character. But actually morality begins with our relationship with God. This is where morality begins. That there is a moral way by which we should worship God. We should conceive of God. We should know God. And this is what Islam came to correct. What had happened in the world is that the belief, the understanding, the comprehension of God had become immoral. It was corrupted. People didn't know who God was. Even the earlier message, which was the last before the final message, the message brought by Prophet Jesus, alayhi salam, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, That message was corrupted within a hundred years of his life. When Allah lifted him up, the process of corruption of his message by Paul of Tarsus began and effectively changed the essence of his message. So much so that within another 300 years, It was lost. He had become God. The son of God, who was himself God, to be worshipped. And that human salvation depended on the worship of Jesus. How immoral can one possibly get That is the height of immorality with regards to God. To turn him into a human being and to worship that human being instead of worshipping the God who Jesus worshipped is the ultimate in immorality. It is a part of the ultimate sin. And this, much of the world finds difficult to grasp. People always ask, why so and so, Mother Teresa, she's done so much good, helped out so many people, sacrificed her life, and yet, just because of her belief, you Muslims hold that if she died with that belief, she is going to hell eternally. How could that be? All of the work that she did, you put it on one scale, and that little difference in belief now outweighs all of that? Yes. Because it's not a little difference. In your eye, you might see it as a little difference. But in the sight of God, it is huge. It is the biggest sin that a person can possibly commit to worship others besides God. That is the greatest possible sin. The height of immorality with regards to God is to worship others besides Him. (coughs) Ship the greatest, unforgivable sin, if one dies without having repented from it. So the moral message of Islam, about which Prophet Muhammad ﷺ spoke, began first and foremost with man's relationship to God, with God. That he should recognize the creator, his creator, as the only true God. The only one deserving worship. And as such, he is the only one who should be worshipped. So, the beginning statement of faith in Islam is La ilaha illallah. There is no God worthy of worship but Allah. That is the beginning statement of Islam. That it's from this point that morality begins. Our relationship with God. And much of the world today is still in that state. The message spread until one-fifth or one-quarter, almost one-quarter of humankind has reached that understanding. But the remainder of humankind also have that message uh, have to reach that message have we as Muslims have the responsibility to carry that message to them and this responsibility falls on each and every Muslim as my brother Hamadi pointed out before when Prophet Muhammad said عَنِّي وَلَوْ آيَةٌ that you should convey whatever you have learned from me, even if it is only a single verse of the Qur'an. You need to convey that message. And the most important part of that message is in one of the smallest chapters of the Qur'an, known as Surah At-Tawheed. Or Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ Say, He, Allah, is uniquely One. This is the beginning of morality. The moral message of Islam. That Allah is uniquely One. He is Wahid, is One in the general sense. But, his oneness is to the level of unique oneness, in that there is no other one like him. Because simply being one, I can say, for example, I have in my packet, pocket one pen. But you could all say, yes, I also have one pen. That's one. One. But that's not uniquely one. Uniquely one means, when I say I have one, nobody else can say they have one. There's only one. That's uniquely one. This is the ahadiyya of Allah. That Allah is Ahad. Different from Wahid. But this is the essential message. That Allah is uniquely one. And the rest of the surah explains about how his unique oneness is to be perceived. Part of that unique oneness is that everything depends on him. He is a someone And he does not depend on anything else. Also, it is that he doesn't give birth, nor was he born. This is again, Part of that unique oneness. Everything else is born. Everything else gives birth. And there is nothing similar to Him. So this is the essence of the moral message of Islam, that Allah is uniquely one. And this is why as Muslims, we would never accept... The idea that some Christians may put forth in defense of the three-in-one concept that while Allah is one, he is three-in-one, that it is explained that uh, he is like water, which may be a solid maybe a liquid or maybe a gas or is like an egg has a shell white and the yolk or like a tree it has roots, it has trunk, it has a branch we say no this is not God this is not unique your God is a tree God And in Europe, people used to believe in the tree god, And this is where the practice knock on wood came from. You know, people say things, I'm going to do so and so, I hope it's going to happen and knock on wood. Believing that you knock on the wood, it's going to happen. Where did that come from? It came from, it came from the Scandinavian belief in the gods of the trees. In the gods of the trees. Gods resided in trees. And when you wanted to speak to the god, you came up to the tree, you had to knock on the tree. And then you tell the tree what you needed and He would do it for you. So, this kind of belief where God is compared to his creation, is made similar to his creation. This kind of belief is immoral. We consider this to be the height of immorality. God is unique. He is one, and there is absolutely nothing similar to him. So he alone deserves, then, our worship. And we should worship him alone. This is all about morality with regards to God. And the moral message of Islam, which addresses human relations, how human beings relate with each other, That moral message is a solid moral message. One which does not change in time. As people uh, gather and uh, put new ideas forward through democratic processes of, of governance, ideas change. What was considered immoral 50 years ago may be considered moral today. And what was considered moral 50 years ago may be immoral today. So there's no foundation for morality that is man-made. So Islam came in its final form re-establishing the solid foundation for morality in human society. And that foundation is an unshakable foundation, one which Muslims will never compromise. Individual Muslims might, but Muslims as a nation, as Muslim world, with the faith of Islam, it will never be compromised. There's no point of compromise. Because what is wrong and what is evil will always be wrong and evil. And that's the way it should be. That if God has decreed something to be evil, it doesn't make sense that a time should come when He decrees it to be good. That's what human beings do because we found out more information, cigarettes at one time were considered good. It was fashionable to smoke, but in time it was judged to be evil and no longer fashionable. So that's human morality. And this is what Islam has to offer the world, a solid foundation for morality. So, the current trend in the West of making homosexuality, homosexuality a an acceptable alternative uh, lifestyle, This, for Islam, is immoral. We will never accept it. We will never change our view with regards to homosexuality. God defined it as evil. Though even in the Bible it was defined as evil, etc. In modern times, it has been uh, changed. The view has changed. And people have reinterpreted biblical passages and you now even have homosexual churches where the priest is homosexual, the congregation of homosexuals and that is acceptable. No one to challenge or to dare speak about this which is in fact unspeakable. It is an evil so islam provides that solid foundation a rudder for human civilization to stay correctly on the path and even the area of environment which the west tends to be very concerned about today you know protecting the environment etc islam had established those principles 1,400 years ago in its final message. And before that also it was there, but reinforced in the final message, that the, the world that Allah has created us in is a world for us to benefit from without destroying it. When Prophet Muhammad forbade us from taking birds as our targets to kill animals in sport and fun, This is about conservation, about protection of the environment. That we don't have the right to destroy what Allah has created in sport. So we have set uh, moral principles, though in Muslim countries today, perhaps we might be among the most destructive to the environment, you know, because though that those are fundamental teachings in practice, we have different situations, but the point of the matter is that this is ultimately a part of the full package of Islam, that package of morality which deals with all aspects of life. So even in sports, for example, something which a lot of people don't really think about, but Islam has made some principles concerning sport. In that, a sport like bungee jumping, you know, where you jump off a bridge or a cliff and you have a a rubber band tied to your foot. You jump off, you you bounce, you pull it back up again. It's a fun thing. Or climbing Mount Everest. So you can get up on the top and put your foot and plant your flag or take a picture of yourself. You conquered Mount Everest. Or even in the uh, carnivals or uh, different uh, amusement parks. Where you get on machines that throw you up in the air and throw you down and throw you out the side and spin you all around. Actually, for Muslims, this is haram. This is haram. This is immoral. For you to throw yourselves into destruction, you're putting yourself in a situation where you could die. This is the big thrill of these games. You're almost on the point of death and the rubber band pulls you back. The machine swings you this way, swings you that way. This is not us. This is not from Islam. Though you might have thought of it as fun, or you do think of it as fun, because <coughs> you're a young person, whatever, and you get a thrill from it, this is not from Islam. Allah told us very clearly in the Quran, وَلَا aidikum عَيْدِكُمْ تَعْلِ Don't throw yourself with your own hands into destruction. Every year, bungee cords break and people hit the ground and kill themselves. Every year, people climb Mount Everest and other mountains and fall off and kill themselves. Every year, roller coasters get off track and so many people die. What would you say have to say to, to Allah if you were among those people? What as a Muslim could you possibly say? I was only having fun when I killed myself. This is suicide. We're not allowed to do this. So the Islamic point in terms of how it looks at life, life is something Allah has given us and we have a duty to utilize it in the best way possible. This is the moral approach. eh, To utilize our life, our time, our youth, our knowledge, our energy in the best way possible. (laughs) Not to be focused only on the pleasures of life. So in the West, for example, you'll hear people saying, If life isn't fun, it's not worth living. A person gets some kind of an illness, they're suffering from it, terminal illness, whatever, they say, I should have the right to take my life. And you have people supporting it, legislation trying to make it permissible, struggles, people want to have the right to take their life because if life isn't pleasant anymore, it's pain. It is a life of pain, it's not worth living because this is a distorted view about life, to what life is. A person who suffers in pain, while trying to treat his or her illness, the suffering that he or she goes through, believing in Allah, purifies them of sin. It's purification. Prophet has said
0: that
1: even if a believer steps on a thorn, that thorn sticks into his or her foot. Pain. If they are patient with it, it purifies them of sin. You step on a thorn, you stub your toe, you don't say as it Non-Muslims might just say, "Jesus Christ, good God!" <laughs> you know, God damn it! You know something? This is this is evil. This is evil. So, Islam provides moral guidance in all aspects of. So that we can truly appreciate life for what it is. And in Islam, we have the answer to that question which is placed before people who believe in different religions. What about those other people? who never heard the message. Who didn't hear the message of Islam. First and foremost, when people ask, how is it fair? You were born in a Muslim family. I'm born in a Hindu family. You're going to paradise because you're a Muslim and I'm going to hell because I'm a Hindu. How is that fair? I didn't choose to be born in a Hindu family. You didn't choose to be born in a Muslim family. So where's the fairness in that? As a Muslim, we have to tell them that God is fair. Simply because you are born in a Muslim family... That doesn't mean you're going to paradise. Because Islam cannot be inherited. Even though a lot of Muslims think today that Islam is inherited. My parents were Muslims, therefore I am Muslim. Yeah, on a legal level, according to the external judgment, If your parents were Muslim, you're automatically Muslim. But in reality, this is not the case. It is not automatic. Your parents were Saudis, yes, you're a Saudi. Your parents were Filipinos, yes, you're a Filipino. Yes, you inherit nationality. You can inherit names. Your family name was such and such, now your name is such and such, you inherited it. You can inherit property. They had this house or this palace or whatever, and you have inherited it. Now it's yours. But you can't inherit Islam. Because Islam is a spiritual decision which each and every human being has to make. A decision to submit their wills to God. And you can't inherit that. Because my parents submitted their wills to God, it means I'm born and my will is automatically submitted to God. No. I will have to choose. I will have to accept God truly for my Islam to be real. Just as it was for them, it is for me. For every human being. They have to individually make the choice themselves. So, from this perspective, Islam gives no favoritism to people simply because of their birth. The one who is born in the Muslim family finding real Islam may be more difficult than the person who was born in the non-Muslim family. may maybe, because he or she is in a culture, a tradition, where everybody is doing the same things, they're fasting in Ramadan, they're praying, they're going for Hajj, and so they just do it like everybody else. But inside themselves, they didn't really believe. So if They were taken out of that environment. They got a visa to go to America. You see them. Islam has gone. Just like a jacket, you take it off, hang it up, carry on. Just like that. That's the reality. And that's why Prophet Muhammad said that there are people who will do the deeds of the people of paradise as it appears to people, but they will be from the people of hell. That is the reality. So it's not about the family you are born in. We have to say, yes, in hell, there will be many who have the name Muhammad and Fatima. Many because this is the most common names in the world. Muhammad and Muhammad. Many of them will end up in hell. So it's not about a name. It's not about the family you're born in. It is about the decision that each and every human being makes. So that one who was born in a Hindu family, or a Christian family, etc., who when using the intellect which Allah has given them, cause them to recognize that whatever they were believing in and whatever they were following was false, because it's so obvious, then it's easier for them to leave that, find Islam, and choose it, sincerely, and be among the people of paradise. So this is the reality. It's not about the families we were born in, but the decisions that we make. And this is the moral principle that
0: Islam upholds where God is in fact just,
1: fair, and He does not oppress anyone, as He said, وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا And your Lord will not be unfair to anyone. So what of those people who died young? Or those people who were deaf, dumb, and blind? Or those people who were retarded? Or those people who were senile when the message came? Or they lived in some part of the world where, as far as we know, no message reached those people? Look at all these people. What does Islam say about them? They will all go to paradise? That wouldn't be fair, would it? Because the rest of us, we have to go through all of this struggle, with that person simply because he died, a child, he's gone to paradise. Or simply because he was deaf, dumb, and blind, gone to paradise. No, that wouldn't be fair. As Allah said, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبَعَثَ رسولة, That I will not punish anyone until a messenger has been sent to them. So the message has to reach every human being in order for judgment to take place. So what of those people? The Prophet ﷺ taught us that on the day of resurrection, when the rest of us who had exposure to the message, the message came to us correctly and we accepted it or rejected it, as we are being resurrected, at the same time, those people who never received the message, or the message came to them in such a distorted form, you cannot expect them to believe it. All of those will be also resurrected, brought back to life in the prime of their youth with all of their faculties. And when they are resurrected, they will find before themselves a wall of fire. And out of this wall, a messenger will step. And he, sent by God, will explain to them about Tawheed, the essential message of Islam. And after explaining to them, he will instruct them to enter that wall of fire from which he stepped out. And the people will go walking towards him that wall will flare up. Most will back off, but some will walk through. They walk through, they appear to be burnt up. Then the fire will, wall of fire will simmer down and the people will try again. It will flare up, people will back off, others will walk through. And this will repeat itself. So many times as Allah wills, till those that remain refuse. Every time it flares up, they back off. Nobody walking through anymore. And they refuse, will not do it. And the Prophet said, Those who walk through will go on to paradise. Those who backed off are those who. Had the message of Islam come to them when they were with all of their faculties capable to understand it, etc., they would have rejected that message. Just as they rejected in the end here, they would have rejected in the beginning there. And they will be those who will go on to hell. So the judgment will be for all. So this is the moral message of Islam. It is not unfair. It takes into account all aspects of human life and it provides the solid foundation of morality for the world in how to deal with differences of culture, differences of what is called race, differences of economics, all of the differences which exist amongst human beings, Islam has given us guidelines as to how to deal with these differences morally, how these differences in fact enhance our relationship and not instead lower, uh, corrupt our relationship. The moral message of Islam is one of tolerance, one of righteousness, goodness, truth, justice, all of the principles that human society holds as ideals but do not in fact practice. So this is the need of Islam today. The world needs Islam. Not only the non Muslim world needs to know that message, but Muslims themselves need to know the message of Islam. Because the moral relationship with God, even amongst Muslims today, many Muslims today, has become corrupted. So some of the worst elements which developed in previous nations, we can also find it amongst Muslims. You will not find Muslims prostrating before idols and openly worshipping idols. However, you will find Muslims who have put between themselves and God intermediaries. The intermediaries might be given different names. In some cultures they're called saints, awliya. In other cultures they're called imams, the twelve imams, the seven imams, whatever. But these intermediaries become objects of worship. Though people are saying we're only praying to them because they're closer to God. But that was the same thing which was said in the time of the Prophet wasallam when he came with the message of worshipping God directly. As Allah said, astajib lakum. Call on me in prayer and I will answer your prayer. But in his time, the people said, well, we're only worshipping these other idols, these other gods, in order to bring us closer to Allah. This is all. When we're only doing it, we're not saying we're not worshipping God, but we're worshipping these others who are closer, so we become closer to God through them. As people will say, how can you, covered in sin, You're committing sins every day. You're dirty in sin. How can you turn to God who is so pure? You need to turn to somebody who is pure. Pure. And they can help get your message to God. If you want to try to speak to the uh, ruler of Saudi Arabia, you can't just go to his palace, knock on his door and say, you know, can we have a conversation? No, you have to talk to this one, we'll talk to that one. There's an Amir, there's this one and that one. You can help out daughter of the Amir, son of the Until eventually what you're asking for can get to the ruler. That's how it works in this life. It's the same thing. But no, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. Because Allah did not tell us, call on Muhammad and I will answer you. He said, call on me. And I will answer you. So that is the moral way. It is immoral to call on others besides Allah. So, in this way, immorality with regards to our relationship with God has crept in. So, the need to get back to the moral message of Islam about which Prophet Muhammad had said, Inna ma I was only sent to perfect for you the highest of moral character traits, we today, as Muslims, are as much in need of it as the non-Muslims. So, this is something I hope we will reflect on this evening, reflect on our state with regards to the morality of Islam, and to Seek ways and means to correct whatever we have caused or has been caused to become corrupted, to correct it, by seeking the knowledge of Islam. Prophet Muhammad had said Talabul elemi Fadid Allah Muslim seeking knowledge is compulsory for every Muslim. Why? because of this tendency of human beings to deviate and fall into corruption, and to pass this corruption down generation after generation as a legacy of immorality in different aspects of human life, relationship with God, human beings, creation around them. Because of that tendency, the Prophet ﷺ, with Allah's instruction, made it for A religious obligation on each and every Muslim to seek knowledge of the religion. To practice that religion of Islam based on knowledge and not on custom and tradition. To go back to the sources. So this was the essence of the message this evening, um, which is naturally an extension from the project which I started uh, back in 2007, going on six years ago, called the Islamic Online University. This was the fundamental goal of this university. To provide free education, the diploma with its courses is completely free. Not a single penny or cent is to be paid. It's absolutely free online. All you need is downloadable there. You can access the deal for free. And Alhamdulillah, in these five going on six years, The students who from around the world have embraced this opportunity now exceeds more than 100,000 students. And the growth continues. This is available to you. I hope that you would uh, access it. It's islamiconlineuniversity.com. It is free get that knowledge. Also, there is a bachelor's in Islamic studies which was started back in 2010. There is a nominal fee of $40 if you're from Ethiopia, $120 if you're from the States, a fee not per class but per semester registration fee, no tuition fee. So it's tuition free. Virtually free and this again is available to all of you. That is for those who would like to study more formally, more intensely uh, the various areas of Islamic disciplines which can enhance your own uh, work situation, your job situations that you may be in field that you're working in. You're a teacher, we have courses in education from an Islamic perspective. You're a doctor, we have courses in what is called maqasid al-shari'a or the goals of the shari'a, al-qawad al fiqhiyah the fundamental principles behind the Islamic laws which will guide you in your profession, help you to make the right decision when you're called upon to do take certain uh, medicines or to do certain operations etc. You have guidance as to what should be done or not. Or even to go into the Profession of medicine. For those students who are going in studying, preparing their pre-med, that knowledge makes it clear to you that as a male, it is not acceptable for you to become a gynecologist. We say normally gynecologist is knowledge. It's knowledge, it's ailment, you know, needed by the society. But for a man to become a gynecologist, Meaning what? He specializes in women's bodies.
0: He said, no, no, no.
1: Okay, as a husband, fine. But not as a your day-to-day profession where Islam teaches you women should be covered, etc. And here you are telling all these women, come into your office, please take your clothes off. This is totally unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. The gynecologist should be the females. Now, women should be told, yes, this is your field. You know, you want to choose an area specialization, specialize in gynecology. Don't specialize in prostate cancer. Why not prostate cancer? It's a big disease. A big... Men are dying from it. So this is a whole men's thing. So for a woman to become a prostate specialist, and I won't go into the gory details of what she might have to do, right? it is just not appropriate. So knowledge of the principles of Islamic law can guide those who are going into different fields of study in terms of what areas to specializing, what areas to choose, etc. So that uh, you end up practicing your Uh, profession in a way which is in fact pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we hope again that you would take that opportunity to uh, benefit from the Islamic Online University. There are uh, some more pamphlets outside for those who would like to follow up on it and um, we hope that you would join the ranks of the Muslim students online around the world. I'm gonna stop here now and shift into our question and answer uh, segment. Uh, we have a microphone, which is a roving mic, which can be passed for those who would like to ask questions. We'll take a question from the females and then a question from the males, uh, inshallah. And a question, a written question has been sent up to me, I'll just start off with it while you're putting some questions together in your head. The question is, my Iman level is getting weaker and weak and weaker. And I really don't know how to repent. I tried many times in various ways, but no way. Well, first and foremost, we should understand what causes the level of Iman to get weaker. If we understand the basis of the disease, then we can treat it. If we don't understand the basis of the disease, then it appears so so difficult and so complicated that we're not able to tackle it. In Islam, the principle of increase and decrease in faith is very simple. It's like one plus one equals two. How is that? The more righteous deeds you do, the more your Iman increases. The more sins you do, the lower your Iman becomes. Simple. So if you find your Iman getting weaker, then what does it mean? Sins are getting more and more. If your mind is increasing, you will see it is connected to more good deeds that you're doing. It's not a magical thing. It's not a miraculous thing where you don't do anything, but just out of the blue comes a bolt, hits you, and oh, the Iman goes on. <laughs> you know, or you're not doing anything. You're just like you are, and then suddenly something else hits you. Oh, my Iman is gone down. no. It's connected to our actions. What's in our hearts? What are we doing? The actions of the heart, the actions of the mind, the actions of the body parts, the actions of our tongue, the actions of our ears, our body parts. All aspects. If they're good, the better the more good we do, the greater our iman becomes. The less we do, the less good we do, the more sins we do, the weaker our man becomes. So, for the person who says, I really don't know how to repent. Well, repentance, as the Prophet ﷺ had said, and ladama, at tawbah. Remorse is the essence of repentance. Remorse. Meaning, you have to feel bad about what you're doing. Again, if you are just looking at your iman getting weak and you didn't look at the cause being your actions, then you'll never be able to grasp that. So you cannot repent. You have not understood it. So repentance means... You have to reflect on what you did. Reflect on the fact that Allah saw you doing it. It's recorded. You can never escape it. It's there on you. And realizing that you feel bad. Tears come to your eyes. There you have the beginnings of repentance. But if that doesn't happen, if you just say stock for the law some people do that. You know, I remember even on a hatch, taxi drivers would be ripping off the customers, and while ripping off they'd be saying stock for for the law and we'll rip <laughs> This kind of stock for the law is stock for law. May God forgive me. It's useless. It's of no benefit. People may sit there in the master <laughs> but you know, uh, what is this? Well, what, what are we saying here? Actually, even the word astaghfirullah becomes lost. I have a hundred to do, right? Let <laughs> me get through my hundred. No benefit. No benefit. This is not far This is not seeking repentance, seeking to turn back to God, repentance. That has to be, there has to be remorse. So remorse means you don't just say, Astaghfirullah. And I ask you, brother, what are you making of Astaghfirullah? For? I, I don't know, just in general, all my things. <laughs> How can you feel bad about all your general things? It's the specific thing, when you stop and you think about those specific things. This is when the istighfar becomes real. So better to say just one, astaghfirullah. Sincerely, reflecting on what you did, caused tears to come to your eyes, and to say a hundred, which you didn't even know what you're saying, you're not thinking, you're still doing your other business as you're saying, astaghfirullah, 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 astaghfirullah. See, this is the ritual. That uh, is has crept in amongst us, where we lose the real intent behind the teachings. So, I would suggest to the person who sent this in, You said you've tried in various ways, try this way. Try this way of stopping them. Looking at what your sins actually are. What are they? Start with the biggest one. Think about it. Reflect on it. Turn back to Allah, go to the graveyard, turn to Allah in the middle of the night, and with remorse in your heart, ask his forgiveness, and Allah will forgive. That's his promise. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, A type woman be command la One who repents
0: from sin is like one without sin.
1: True repentance is Erases sin. We don't need anybody to die for our sin. To do anything for our sin. We need to do for our own sin. Okay, question from the sisters? Nobody? Brothers? Question?
0: Uh, um, when we talk about the moral value of taught by like Islam, um, as an individual, I can I can read Islam and you know try to learn the Sharia and try to implement on myself and, and try to convince the certain around me. But there is another aspect where there are many immoral values on which we are being uh, ruled. Okay, yeah, I and mean, for example back in my country, if I if I have any dispute or anything, I had to go to the court. And the judgment I will get will be according to the man-made laws. So, the confusion I have, what is my role in that perspective, you know,
1: uh, when we talk about how... Uh, Okay, I got the point. The point is that, uh, where does our responsibility lie? Allah holds us responsible for those things which are within our power where we can make a difference, we can change, we can correct. This is where we are held responsible. So if a ruler is corrupt, we are not held responsible for the corruption of the ruler. So what we focus on is the area where Allah will judge us in terms of being just or unjust, fair or unfair. and That's the area we focus on. Where as a community we can make a change in the rule, then we try to do so in a fashion which is uh, in keeping with the prophetic way. Not uh, taking you could say violent ways where we take uh, things or fears into our own hands and create more problems than we resolve. It's better for us to focus in the area that we are in fact primarily responsible for because that's what Allah is going to ask us about on the Day of Judgment. That's number one. Job.
0: Question from the sisters? I have a real confusion in uh, my family and uh, myself. My family is, mashallah, very religious. They do not, um, like they practice, they are practicing Muslims, but when I go into depth of Islam, like for example I have taken the Bachelor of Arts in Islamic studies. And uh, when I go in details and I go in depth, they say that um, that is not actually, you are just involving yourself too much into it. And you have to like just be
1: on the right side and you have, mashallah, practicing Muslim five times prayers, aqar, song, and we have done hajj, we live here, so
0: alhamdulillah we go for umrah. So how much is a Muslim's duty to go into depth and gain knowledge?
1: where should I stand? I am so confused about it. Uh, there is not a specific level that... my you know, There's not a specific level that can be said for uh, each and every individual. This will vary depending on the opportunities which Allah has put in your life. So if Allah has given you opportunities which He hasn't given others, then you are responsible based on those opportunities. You had the opportunity to study all the way up to PhD in Islamic studies. And how many people have that opportunity? So you are responsible to do it. You go all the way. If Allah has given you the way and the means to go all the way, then you go all the way. You cannot know too much about Islam. Know that. Right? Though they're saying, we're going too deep. No, 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 no. You cannot go too deep in Islam. You can go to extremes, meaning that you might neglect your other responsibilities and you know, you got kids, but your kids, you're leaving them because you're so much into your studies. No. Of course, in Islam, you have to have that balance. You know, to be moderate in how you're dealing. But you cannot know too much about Islam. There's no such thing. Okay, so you continue. Um, how you convey it to them? Uh, maybe also what is scaring them, etc. You know, they feel you're, you know, becoming, you know, uh, one who is rejecting all of their traditions and all that they're doing. you, see, that's, you have to understand that, um, you know, this is cultural now. Because people feel comfortable in cultural norms. You know, you are now rocking the boat. Right? People don't like anybody to rock the boat. You know, Just keep the boat calm. That's the way it's been going for the last 200, 300 years. Our great-grandparents were all doing this. And you're saying, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing it. You're rocking the boat. So they feel more comfortable. You're going too deep. Just go along with what we're all doing. So this is the nature of ignorance is that it feels, it, it seeks to protect itself by custom and tradition. I mean, what it is that stopped Abu Talib? Abu Talib who knew Rasulullah was a messenger of Allah. What stopped him from accepting Islam? The custom and the tradition. The fear of rocking the boat. A written question here. In one of the verses in the Quran it is mentioned, ask through wasila. Is this correct? Uh, if so, what does it mean? I don't know about the verse in the Quran, asking and saying to ask through wasila, I don't know. person may have just mixed this up. You know, uh, we make du'a for Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu after the um, the adhan, where we say "Du'aa t Muhammadin wasila wal fadila," this wasila term is mentioned in this du'a, which the Prophet sallallahu taught us to make. But he explained in another hadith that the wasila is the highest place in paradise, which would be given to only one human being, and he hoped that it would be him. So we ask Allah to give that position to him. It has nothing to do with intercession in this life as those have misinterpreted it.
0: Can you explain that more? Can, can you explain that some more? I, I was just uh, within the past year uh, watching Huda TV and learned, you know, after between the, uh, the Adhan. Then in English, you are to um, um, uh, ask Allah to um, to um, to give Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi um superiority over all of mankind, and uh, to allow him to be the Shafa like, like, and I interpret that to be the uh, intercessor. I mean, the, uh, yeah, the intercessor. And so um, I want to understand that because someone said that word may not mean intercessor, and then the other things are to, um, to you know, please raise him to the highest levels uh, of paradise and give him the best place in paradise. Can you explain that please? Because I'm still trying to understand it. Well, you know, that may
1: take some time, etc., to get into the details of it. I gave you the short version that wasila, which is what people have misinterpreted to mean uh, intercession. Where Prophet Muhammad SAW himself said that the wasida was that place in paradise. So we go according to what he said and not what people interpreted Now in terms of his intercession, he has mentioned that he will intercede, but he has explained when are the times that he will intercede. And there are different levels of intercession. intercession but all of it is not in this life, but in the next. On the Day of Judgment, this is where he and others will intercede. In this life, the only form of intercession which is acceptable, is that of intercession with one's good deeds. And this is based on an authentic hadith of the Prophet in which he explained a circumstance that happened in the past, where... Three young men were caught in a cave, rock had fallen over its its entrance, they were locked inside there, which meant they were going to die, and each one of them made a du'a to Allah, based on an act which they did individually, which was sincerely for Allah alone. And as each one made those du'as, the rock shifted until it moved and they were able to escape. So on the basis of that, shafa'ah in this life with one's good deeds is considered to be the only means of shafa'ah in this life. In the next life, then we know of various uh, occasions where in the process of judgment, Allah would choose Prophet Muhammad wasallam, the other prophets, the angels, certain righteous people, those who memorize Quran or recite the Quran, etc., and would be uh, would honor them by allowing them to be the ones who would intercede on behalf of some other human beings. Okay. The brothers. Okay, just say it, but I think it takes too long
0: to get here. I can hear you. You have already explained this. wasila, where it is mentioned in the Quran, that take the meat. This is what people refer to, wasilah. Take the need of your good deeds uh, to reach to Allah and in the invention of your good deeds. What people use as a reference to seek means as a wasilah, like think the uh, righteous pure people. Uh,
1: this I think was... What chapter chapter al maida
0: Okay. Verse, 35. Huh? Hmm? verse number 35, Chapter
1: Al-Ma'idah. This is what it's saying. Okay, the, the, the verse in Surah al were. Allah says to take means, and people have taken means to mean uh, human beings in this life. They have misinterpreted what was meant by means. Uh, Yeah, okay, this is uh, another aspect uh, of distortion of the meanings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, because the Qur'an and the Sunnah, of course, has to be understood as it was understood by Prophet Muhammad and his companions. So if... Uh, taking means meant uh, calling on others besides Allah, then the companions of the Prophet ﷺ would have been the first to have done so, calling on Rasulullah ﷺ in their prayers. We don't have that in any of their practices. So we have to say that such misinterpretations, you know, uh, we always question and ask where is the evidence? You know, it's like people who celebrate the birthday of the Prophet, sallallahu You know, and we say to them, "There's no evidence in the Quran or the Sunnah." They say, "Yes, it's in the Quran." I said yeah, "Where?" I said, "You know, Allah said in the 'Allahu alaihi katahu yusallu naabi ya ibadina hamnu sallu 'alayhu sallamutaslima.'" Said, "No, that verse. This is what we hear in Juma. You know, usually at the end of Juma, the Imam this, you know." What is that actually saying? It's saying, you know, indeed Allah and uh, the angels uh, praise Allah, praise the Prophet you know, all you who believe, you know, ask for further praise and blessings on him. So what what does that connect? How does that connect with celebrating the birthday? They said, that's it. They said, that's how you might be interpreting it, but if that was it, then why weren't the Sahaba doing it? You know better than the Sahaba? No, 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 no. So they didn't know, and you know? No, 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 no. So they knew, and they didn't do, and now you're doing. No, 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 no. But then what? That's problematic. Um, so always, whenever these issues come up, we always ask people, what is the evidence for this practice? And evidence means, not that my sheikh had a dream. Right, that's not evidence. Right? <laughs> evidence means, Allah said, Prophet Muhammad said, Sahaba understood in that way, and did. Question, what is the ruling if you want to study a Bachelor of Law in a non-Muslim country? Will you be punished? No. If you're studying law so that you can become the best criminal lawyer, right? Then yeah, maybe. Because the best criminal lawyer is the one who's known to get off the biggest criminals. That's the best criminal lawyer. Meaning if you have the worst crimes, you go to him because and get you off. <laughs> he knows you're a criminal and he's going to defend you in the court and convince the people that you are not a criminal. And yes, you're sinning. because this is not Islam. Islam requires you to be just. But if you're learning law in a non-Muslim country so that you can protect the rights of the Muslims, that if we don't have Muslim lawyers who know the law, in order to protect their rights, then we have to go to non-Muslim lawyers who, as in general, they just like to rip people off. That's what their thing is. They're not going to really help you, they will just rip you off. So to protect the, the community, the Muslim community from the harm, one learns that, but you have to do it with that intention. Your intention is to practice this in order to protect the Muslim community, etc., not in order to make as much money as you can. That becomes your focus is just of maximum money. Profit. I'd like to know about the rulings on Waspa. <laughs> Taking favors from others to get your work done. Well, you know... If this, we look at this as being, you know, basically bribing, it becomes a form of bribery. The basic ruling in Islam is that the one who gives the bribe, the one who receives the bribe, are cursed. This is a sin. It is a sin. However, the exception, there is an exception. The exception is that if you have to bribe to get your right, You have to give money to get your right. Now your right is there. The immigration officer says, if you don't give me some money, you're not gonna get your goods. It's yours. At this point, scholars hold it is permissible for you to give him the money. He carries the sin, you don't. Because The essence of the evil of bribery is that when you pay money, you're getting a right which wasn't yours. That is the essence. You're getting a right which belonged to somebody else. So this is the evil. But if you're paying money to get what is yours, then the evil is on those who are requiring you to pay when you shouldn't be paying So that is the exception in that regard. How do I know that my sin is forgiven by Allah? You hope. You hope. The idea is that if you have done what is required of you in terms of repentance, after that you hope. You have a hope. That Allah will forgive you. But to know with certainty this is something that we as Muslims don't claim. Yes, Christians will say that very easily. Do you know where you're going when you die? You say, We don't know. We hope. They say, Well we know. We know we're going to paradise once you've accepted Jesus Christ died for your sin paradise is yours sure, you have no doubt so therefore our faith is better than your faith because we know for sure and you are in doubt actually they have been deluded by Satan but this satanic illusion where they assume that simply because they have this belief they are in fact going to paradise the Jews said the same thing for themselves What is the ruling about face covering for women? What if a woman is fully covered except the face? Is she sinful? Well, there are different uh, positions in the scholars in this matter. Uh, Majority hold that it is not an obligation on her to cover her face. Uh, Other scholars hold that it is an obligation. So for a woman, she should look at the evidences that are used by both sides and then what she is convinced of, not necessarily what is most convenient, but what she's convinced of to be the truth, then that's what she should follow. Okay, um, I think that's covered most of the questions here and um, I've been given the, uh, the point of notice that our time has run out. Alhamdulillah, it is... I appreciate all of you coming down and, and uh, being a part of this gathering this evening, inshallah, which we hope was one in which uh, we have remembered Allah. This is what is called among the Majalis dhikr. You know, This is remembering Allah, a way which people don't necessarily consider they think that remembering Allah means you sit and say, Allah, 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 well, No, please, don't be confused. This is the way that we remember Allah. And if you are going to, as an individual, remember Allah, you remember Allah in meaningful phrases that the Prophet ﷺ thought, or what may come from yourself, in meaningful phrases. We say, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Wala ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, we don't just sit there and say, Allah, 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 Allah. Just as we don't mention, we want to talk to a brother about something, we don't just keep saying, Muhammad, 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 Muhammad. We think we've gone mad. So similarly, this form of dhikr which is also spread in our community in ignorance, know that it is not from guidance, it's misguidance. Prophet Prophet didn't do it, Sahaba didn't do it, they never taught it. This is something which has come down to our times. And we ask Allah, inshallah, to protect us from the innovations and the evil customs which have burdened many of our communities around the world today. And to help us to find our way back to the true teachings of Islam. To give us the courage and the uh, fortitude to, to seek out the true path, Surat al-mustaqeem, and to stay on it, and to die on it, and to leave this world with our last breath. (laughs) La ilaha illallah. Subhanakallah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And astagfirullah.